Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. We are uh, putting together some special episodes for you, given these crazy times we're all living in with the pandemic. And uh, we have gotten a lot of questions from you from uh, a lot of backgrounds and a lot of different sized organizations. So we're doing our best. Andy and I are doing our best to to really get together um, a mix of your questions and things that that we think can benefit um, all sized organizations. So uh, as always, you know, feel free to let us know if there's something else we should we should cover, or if you have another question we haven't answered, we will do our best to find you an answer. And with that, uh, we have several HR questions that came in, and we have some that were incredibly technical, um, very, very much sort of more from a legal standpoint. And so we're going to be bringing in an expert uh, from that angle. Uh, Today, we've got some questions that sort of probably border on both technical and uh, just sort of the human element, uh, sort of the the soft side of things, um, and how you just handle these sensitive situations with your employees. And so we thought no better than to have uh, our very own Amy Hunter, who's come on before, join us again. So welcome, Amy. Thank you, Stacey and Andy, for having me. I really appreciate it. So I'm going to have Amy, for those who hadn't, you know, uh, caught a past episode that Amy joined us for, have Amy start us off with a little bit of her background, and and she uh, can probably share a lot more about her, herself than I can, other than uh, I know she knows her stuff, so we're so lucky to have her uh, finding time uh making time for this really during during a, a lot of questions she's getting as well from from clients and and colleagues so Amy uh, can you give us a little bit of background our listeners a little bit of background on you Sure, happy to do so. Uh, I am Amy Hunter. I've been in Las Vegas. My husband and I moved here about 13 years ago now and have been I have been in the HR coaching training strategy world for nearly two decades now. So uh, something that I'm really passionate about and it's always evolving and changing and particularly in such uncertain or unprecedented times that we have similar to what we have today going on today. So I'm happy to be here and help answer as many questions as I can that your listeners have. Great. Thank you so much. So um, I'm going to jump in. And this first, um, the first question we have is really more like three or four questions in one. So I'm going to read the entire um, sort of, uh, you know, segment we got and then have break it down one by one and we can kind of just walk through it. So um, this, this listener uh, wrote in and said, given the pandemic, are we permitted to have different work situations and hours for staff? For example, we have some staff whose roles necessitate that they work full-time or overtime right now, and we have others who probably don't need to have many hours at all. How best do I communicate with staff that their hours may vary based on need and their role within the organization as well as within our budget? And how do I do this in a way that nobody feels less important? Wow, that's a lot to unpack, isn't it, Amy? Gosh, it sure is. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> yeah, so I, so I, I think if I 
could Stacy take it kind of one step at a time, like you had mentioned, sure. the easy part of the question, the more standard this versus that part of the question is yes, you can absolutely make schedule changes based on the operational demands by position. Now, one of the things that isn't specifically outlined is whether or not those team members would be hourly or salaried. So you definitely have to make some varying adjustments and use some specific language uh, around the team members status if they are salaried. Hourly is, is much easier to just to, to make an adjustment to their schedule and move them, let's say, from part time to full time. So we know hourly is sort of just an adjustment, whether it's to increase hours or decrease hours. Mm -hmm. um, as far as salary, it, it, can you elaborate a little bit more on things that people need to be thinking about related to that? I mean, I'm, I'm going to come from a layman's point of view. I, as far as I'm, I've always thought salaried employees, they work to get the job done. So that means they get paid whether they work 20 hours a week or 100 hours a week, as long as the job is done. Is that accurate? That is 100% accurate, which is why you would want to use language like furloughing the employees, because what a furlough, a proper furlough allows you to do is make an adjustment even to salaried employees' um, schedules. Uh, and we have some clients that are moving salaried employees to hourly so that they can continue to give them modified work schedules with some type of comp compensation during this period of time. So then the second part, right, how, do, how best do I communicate this with staff, um, you know, based on the fact that their, their need within the, you know, the need right now, their role within the organization, the budget, all of those things are sort of influencing these decisions. Yeah, so I always, I'm a people person, you know, so sometimes I put on that warm fuzzy hat that not everyone owns. Um, so I would say show up with even more empathy and caring candor than you have ever given your team before. It's really important to set the stage and remind them that we're all in this together, um, that we're all working through information coming at us, you know, from this unprecedented situation that crisis management situation that most of the organizations have never dealt with before. So if so, I would suggest as a part of the tactical logistical part, if possible, and if time allows to be able to have those conversations individually. So unless it's, you know, maybe let's say, for example, small call center, Maybe you have an opportunity to bring the whole team together and say, here's how this, here's what's going on. Here's the impact of the changes on your work schedule. Now I'd like to talk to each of you individually around how this might impact you and have some more personal conversation one-on-one. -on -one. Being cognizant of when you bring a small group together like that during a space where people are very fearful and scared, you may get some group think. I like to call it that group think mentality. And so doing one-on-one -on -one conversations just from the get-go may be able to mitigate some of that stress and fear that team members get when you have to have or when you take the, the approach of a group conversation. I love that. I love that's such sage advice. Uh, and I, I realize that that some people listening, it, it feels a lot easier to just do this in, in large fell swoops, one mass communication. Um, and it, it, that always that, that that may be quicker, but maybe not ideal. Right. For for every yeah. single person. 
Um, well, in a, in, a, in a pro that usually people um, talk about associated with, well, I want everyone to be having the same conversation. I want them to hear the same message. And so that's why it's really important. You know, one of my very first recommendations is practice, practice, practice the conversation. And that way you've got a rhythm down. And so when you are doing those individual conversations, you've got a script for yourself that you're following. And then you know that the conversations are consistent. Another thing that oftentimes comes up when I recommend those individual conversations of pushback is that, you know, it, but what if someone comes up with a really good question that I didn't think of ahead of time? My, my, uh, what's what I'm looking here for my, my comeback sounds like a very strong uh, perspective, but my pushback to that would be that, um, they, yes, that may be the case. And this isn't the end all be all you're, you still can have the opportunity to have conversation with these individuals that may be having a reduced work schedule. You may be laying off, you may be putting into furlough position or furlough status. So it just continuously be thinking about this as more than potentially more than one conversation. Really, really sound advice. And I also really appreciate the fact uh, I hear you loud and clear that this is not something that should be communicated by email. Although back to your point, some people will feel like that's the safer way to sort of cover their butts, right? Making sure that it's all in writing what they said. Um, but I'm hearing you say a lot more about the human touch. So I guess my mm-hmm. follow-up question is, uh, So let's say somebody makes the larger announcement and then says, let's have individual conversations. To what degree do you recommend that be also all of that be put in writing as well? I think that um, I err on the side of caution from that perspective, even if it's just a memo to file, here's what was discussed after the meeting. Uh, People are going to be hijacked. They're going to be in an emotional, mental state where they're not going to get 100% of the message. And so I think written follow-up communication is not a bad idea at all. One of my other recommendations is make sure that you have a packet available. That packet should be inclusive of any unemployment documentation, how to contact them by both phone and email, any resources that are out right now. I've seen dozens and dozens of them on social media, um, passing back and forth through email, where people can get various types of help and support during this time. And so making sure that you've got a proper packet in place too. A part of that packet can be anything related to benefits if you offer them or have them, can also be a summary of the conversation, right? So is it that your status is formally, you know, you're reducing work hours? Is it that your status is changing from salary to hourly? Is it that you're doing a layoff? Is it that you're doing a furlough? So I think it's okay to absolutely follow up with some written documentation that helps the team member walk away not having to understand 100% of what just happened. Once they're able to get back all their faculties, they can then digest the information again. I love that. I love that. And I know for, I, I think we've all probably been in those situations in, in a variety of points of our life where we think, well, did they say this or did they say this? Yeah. And what exactly was it, right? So that's really yeah. helpful. Yeah. Um, and then sort of the final piece of this, which you think ties into some of what, you, what you've already discussed, which is sort of the, the empathy and, and the candor and the transparency. But, but 
the final piece of this question was, right, how, how do I do this in a way, communicate this in a way that nobody feels less important? And I guess mm-hmm. I, I'm going to sense that the person doing this, I'm, I'm going to assume this is probably an executive director or, or board position, um, depending on how the organization is structured and what, what they have in place, but probably an executive director. And um, assuming that they have one, you know, a handful of people that they need all hands on deck around the clock, and then perhaps people that they really, based on their skill set and background, don't need right now. Mm-hmm. I, it sounds like they're really sensitive about how that could, you know, impact morale and, and you know, just sort of the overall culture right now of the organization. So any thoughts to that point? I do have a couple of thoughts around that, and you're exactly right. The empathy, caring, candor, showing up and being kind, being personable and personal with the individuals you're having, individual or individuals you're having conversation with. I think that people are observant and see what is going on, and I think that we sometimes give them less credit than is deserved um, on one sort of side or, or space of that. And then the other piece that comes to mind is I've, I've been posing the question to clients that have been in this very situation this week is that are there other roles or things that are needed within the organization that could even possibly lessen or reduce the OT stress, the overtime stress on others where someone's role could be modified in the interim to help support some of those other pieces that are now running at 120 or 130 percent capacity versus 100 percent. I love that. Um, And so I, my, if you use my my thought here is that if you use language that is going to make them feel less than that their role is less important than then that's the way they're certainly going to leave the room feeling so going to a space of thanking them for all that they have done for the organization reminding them of the value that their work has brought to the organization and will likely to continue to bring to the organization, I think is really important um, in making that transition for them. And then if there are other things that you might be able to do for them, giving them other, other work and such from a transition perspective, I think is plausible as well. I think that's a, I, I like the creative solution of, of those staff that will be you know, probably overburdened with some of the additional tasks. Most of those probably aren't super high. There's probably some high level tasks within that that need to be handled by that specific person, but there's probably some things just related to basic organization tracking, uh, you know, just detail work that perhaps some of the other staff might be able to fill in the staff that doesn't have quite the demand is if, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, that's sort of what you're suggesting. Yeah, if it's possible, and I know that it's not. And so if it is, if it's not possible, I think it's important that the language that you use and you choose is going to be what they hear. And so, you know, maybe not directly related, but an example that I could give is, right, if you're talking about a front office job versus a back office job and you're using language such as those guys up there have so much more things to do versus those guys back there, that type of language alludes 
to a class or a caste associated with the organization. And so maybe it's small language like that, that if you're practicing and when you practice, I encourage you to practice with someone, either a board member or someone that's a one degree appropriate, one degree of separation from the organization, maybe even a friend, as long as that friend is willing to give you some very sound feedback about how they would feel on the other end of the conversation. All of us can probably in all areas of our life could benefit from sometimes having someone who's not quite as emotionally connected just to listen to it and sort of put themselves in, in the shoes of, of the employer or whomever. So really good mm-hmm. advice. Thank you. Um, I do have, Stacy. one other thing that that particular listener didn't necessarily ask about. I have found that sometimes team members will show up in this way in those types of conversations. And they may appear to be scared, angry, hostile, upset. And really what that person is saying to you is I'm scared and I don't know what to do. And I'm coming from a place of fear. And so in these types of situations, it is really okay to let them know that it's okay to be fearful or scared or uncertain and that our community is amazing and not going to let any one of us down and that there are there are more sunshines to come there are whatever it might be right that space that makes organization cultural sense but let them be okay in that moment of being angry or upset and acknowledging it for them. I have found that that tactic really helps put their minds at ease, that it's okay to be in that space. Now, of course, if people are swearing and screaming and throwing (laughs) punches, right? Completely different level of way that you would react, but it's, it's okay to acknowledge the fact that, that the team member in this sort of situation is going to be scared and going to be fearful. I really appreciate that. I, I think sometimes there's a, there's a tendency I've seen before happen where um, someone in a leadership role either minimizes that um, or it feels minimized by the person having the, experiencing those things, either by just not letting them be in those feelings or sit with those feelings or having them, you know, telling them to, you know, suck it up, buttercup, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, we're going to get, you know, put on a happy face, be grateful. It's like, okay, some days you just don't feel like that. So I really appreciate what you're saying about that. Um, Because people, I think the more they feel heard, um, you know, the better the end result is for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's okay. It's, it's not often that I give advice that it's okay to say, I'm sorry, or it's okay to say, this is going to be hard. This is one of those instances where it's 100% okay to say I'm sorry. Um, yeah. yeah. Just based off my experience, of course. <laughs> well, it's a wealth of experience. So awesome. Well, hopefully that, I'm hoping that the person who wrote in for that, I hope that um, gave you some nuggets and some things to work with. And I hope, that, uh, I'm sure many others are facing some or part of, of or similar questions as those. So um, we, we certainly covered a lot there. Uh, moving on to, to our next question. Uh, we got the question from an HR perspective, what are the upsides and downsides of our executive director taking a furlough for the time being? And should this be shared with the rest of staff? 
So I want to make sure that it's clear what the difference is between a furlough and someone getting laid off. Okay. So a furlough is an alternative to a layoff. So it could, examples of a furlough could be reduced work hours, reduced schedule, a change in schedule of some sort where I'm still receiving compensation. Okay. Another type of furlough could be a very specified period of time that the individual will be off of work. Okay. Okay. Um, that's good. And that actually leads me to some follow-up questions, but I'm not sure. I, I don't want to detract us, but let me just, so um, is, is there ever a time where, um, you know, I, I know I can just speak to this. I'm not sure if this is where the question was coming from, but I have had nonprofit clients in the last week say, the executive directors say, maybe I should not take a salary. Like maybe I should keep working and not take a salary. So would that be an example of a furlough? So I would strongly encourage anyone that is going to have salaried employees not get compensation and continue to work to get the advice of an attorney. Okay. Uh, simply because wage and labor is so sticky associated with exemption versus non-exemption status in the state of Nevada. Okay. That's good advice. So yeah. And I don't know if, you know, again, I don't know if the person writing this, that was their question, but I'm, I'm going to guess knowing the financial hardship, a lot of nonprofits are undergoing right now. They may be thinking, where can I cut anywhere right now? Um, And it sounds like that may not be smart long-term or it's risky to do that. Um, depending on what an attorney says. Yeah, it could be, right, from a wage and labor perspective. I, you would hope that it, based off of what everyone is, what is everyone is going through right now, that that person would be making that offer, that suggestion from their heart, and not then turn around and turn the organization in for doing it. <laughs> yeah, you would hope, right? <laughs> uh, if, if, making, <laughs> yep, if making the suggestion, right? And so a layoff is a temporary separation from payroll. So an employee is laid off because there is not enough work for that person to perform. And that doesn't necessarily, it it doesn't necessarily define from a specific period of time, which is what the furlough does. I guess we've sort of laid the ground of what furlough can entail. Um, And you said it also could be just someone takes a furlough, like I am not working or getting paid for this X amount of time. That would be a furlough. That's right. So two weeks, so two, you know, a lot of the organizations in town have, you know, taken a two week hiatus or, well, now we've mandated, right, 30 days. But prior to Governor Sislak's announcement, a number of organizations had already started to go to the, we're going to work from home, we're going to telecommute for, you know, a week or two weeks. This would be a very specific we are furloughing all salaried employees at XYZ Gaming Hospitality Institution for 30 days. Upon those 30 days, it ex- is expected you'll return to work. Okay. Um, and does that need to be, if there's multi, I mean, in general, I guess what I'm wondering is, does that need to be applied consistently? So if you have all salary, like, again, this is probably similar to the first question, but does the furlough need to apply to 
every single salaried position or can it apply to just one salaried position? You can absolutely furlough some, lay off some positions because you really want to make sure that you're using the appropriate language for what that role is really in need of. Uh, And so in that first question, it sounded pretty specific that there would be very few hours for someone to be working because there wouldn't be much for them to be able to do. So that would be a situation where you would likely lay that person off until there is work for them to be able to do. I gotcha. Uh, I'm learning as we go. So thank you for educating me. Um, I, so, so with this, um, so talking about whatever, so we don't know the person, we don't have a lot of details here with this question. So um, hopefully those, those listening and if the person you wrote it in, if we don't answer this, please just send us a side note and we can talk offline. But um, I guess the second part of this question is, you know, should this be shared with the rest of staff. So let's just, for assumption's sake, you have an executive director that decides to furlough in some form or fashion, right? Mm-hmm. So it could be whether whether they're not working or whether it's reduced work schedule, that's probably going to look different in both those situations. But um, it, it, I mean, I'm assuming, of course, you need to let the rest of staff know because that's going to mm-hmm. impact them. Is that fair? I mean, then there's no leader. I don't know. I, I don't mean to answer yeah. the question, Amy, but I'm well, sort of thinking out loud. <laughs> yeah, sure. Of course. And, and you know me, Stacey, I'm the type of HR gal that's not just about the book, right, but also about operationalizing what these laws tell us. And so the the point that you brought up earlier is that have I ever seen it in my, my professional career that there has been a situation where a senior leader has decided to not take wages for a period of time from the organization and continue to work? The answer is yes. I've absolutely seen that happen. And so if that is where this individual is headed from their organizational perspective, they've already had that conversation, the ED is going to continue to work but not take salary. And that's really going to be the only staffing impact or change based off what's going on, then I think you have an opportunity to be very confidential about that information because you it could put people into a panic um, mm-hmm. if that were the case. Mm-hmm. I think a downside to if, so let's play the what if game that you've just started. If the board is deciding to put the executive director on a two week, three week, 30 day furlough and um, then, yeah, absolutely. The de- you need to have a conversation with the team because senior leader won't be there. And then when that senior leader does come back, if they're being forced into a furlough, then you're going to have morale issues and you're going to have 30 days of patterns of behavior that have now started with the rest of the team. And someone is ultimately going to rise to the occasion to be that kind of point person or that leader that the team looks to to keep things moving if that's the case. Yeah, I could see a lot of downsides with a forced furlough. So let's hope that's not the situation. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the upsides, right? If I'm looking at this with my board chair hat on, the upsides to it is that cash flow. If there's a cash flow problem, then the ED's wages are probably the highest in the organization. And that certainly might be able to keep help keep a few more people on the books for as long as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's some definitely some practical um, points behind it. Um, my, my hope is that it would be a sort of mutually agreed upon or even, you know, a, a volunteered furlough. Yeah. But uh, I realize that's me probably being Pollyanna-ish. So. 
<laughs> Look, we need a lot of Pollyannas out there. It's okay. We do, don't we? Right. <laughs> we so do. I'm still trying to keep that part of me alive. Right. <laughs> and so I guess if I could just also circle back to the fact that if the leadership team is someone on the leadership team, the executive director is taking a furlough and there is going to be a, a differentiation in the person's schedule, then you know, yes, I think that also does really need to be shared with the team. I think it's important to make sure we're having conversation about not ensuing panic with our team members and leading from a place of strength and also being transparent and honest with the I'm not sure's. I don't entirely know what we're going to do yet. So I think having that balancing act in this particular question, if that's what they're getting after from the upsides to downsides and sharing with the staff, I think that it's balancing that strength and transparency. Yes. And um, yeah. And, 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 you know, in times like these, I think there are people looking for that strength and looking for um, some sort of um, comfort and security. So um, keeping that in mind as well, um, the opportunity that you have here from a leadership position and just from a messaging position in general on everything we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, let's move in, uh, move on to the, the third question. So um, this one says, our small nonprofit is going to move forward with layoffs. We don't pay into unemployment because we are too small. Our staff will be financially devastated not having work. How do I handle this and communicate this? This is such an emotionally tough situation. It sure is. It sure is. And I'll reiterate what I said from the first listener's question is that empathy and caring candor, showing up with kindness, reminding the team member that we are all in this unprecedented time together I think it's also very, very important in this particular instance as well to thank them for everything that they've done and find praise in recent work um, and a plan. So the, what I pulled from this question differently is how do I handle this? Mm-hmm. So I jotted down a couple of quick notes about having a plan, making sure that you're, you've collected all your paperwork, that you've got all of their pay, final paychecks in order, that you're properly paying them, that there is that practice and exactly what you're going to say since, the, since it has been alluded to that they're a very small organization, definitely have the conversations one-on-one with the know, the, know the laws. And specifically, I say that around the fact that right now, the new HR 6201 that got passed on this evening of the 18th is all employers under 50 uh, with very few exceptions are required to now oblige that as of April 2nd. So make sure that you know the laws at the time of separation would be doing the laws. And I'll go back to making sure that they provided with as many resources that are, are out there and available associated with how to get some support during the transition. You know, I, I've even seen some things on social media around how the local grocery stores are still hiring right now and Amazon is hiring in the Valley right now. One of the really important things that the state is urging everyone to do is to apply for unemployment in the event that your work status has changed. So anything that we've talked about so far today could potentially 
qualify for unemployment. And so that's not our decision to make. That's the state's decision to make. So make sure that during these conversations, you're encouraging everyone to apply for unemployment. I just want to thank you so much. I know that uh, HR is a big thing on people's mind right now related to all of these things that are sort of unfortunately, the not so fun discussions that are being had. So appreciate your just sensitivity during this um, time and your willingness to make yourself available. Thank you so much on behalf of um, Anne, Andy, myself, and just the entire, our, our entire listener base. Well, you are most welcome. I'm always happy to do it. Um, and you all have always been so kind and, and gracious to me as well. So it's, it's just me doing the right thing and helping our community with whatever it is that they need and whatever it is that you all need. So I'm happy to do it. All right. Well, thank you, Amy. And uh, thanks to our listeners. Talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.